Welcome to Illinois Family Spotlight, a conversation about issues of the day from a biblical perspective, as well as highlights from interviews, conferences, and events. Here's Monty Larrick. Thanks for making Illinois Family Spotlight part of your day. During this edition, we're highlighting critical race theory. Angela Saylor outlined her opposition to the Marxist ideology movement during the Illinois Family Institute's 2021 Worldview Conference at Revive Church in Collinsville. Ms. Saylor is the vice president of the Fulner Institute at the Heritage Foundation. She has over 20 years experience in advisory roles with the White House, Congress, U.S. State Department, as well as the U.S. Department of Education, and she's an advocate for education choice. The title of her presentation, Counterfeit Justice, The Truth About Critical Race Theory. Many of us can look back on our life and we can think about those oh-so-special people that had a great influence on us. And for me personally, one of those magnificent spirits was my grandma Irene. We used to sit on our front porch with a big tall glass of ice water and we'd just talk about life. But what I didn't know at that time, and when I think back on it, I remember age five of, of these incredible moments with, oh, Grandma Irene. She was sewing on my heart a way to operate, a formula by which to engage with the world. And it was simple. The formula included prayer, pray before doing things, ask God and seek his wisdom, to operate in God's principles, to operate with those principles towards turning a profit, not just a monetary profit, but a profit that would pour into the lives of others. And that's the other P, people, to be about people in whatever we do. I had no idea, again, that she was sowing into my soul a way to operate every day of my life how to operate in my marriage, how to operate with my children, my colleagues, and the world around me. And in addition to that, she was sowing into me an enthusiasm about this great place we call America. Most would agree America has demonstrated to the world an extraordinary and magnificent evolution of freedom and opportunity. As one reflects on the significance of American innovation, most are amazed by our achievements. And as we talk about things like critical race theory, I hope your eyes will stay focused also on our great achievements. America was the first nation in history founded on a creed, a fundamental belief in liberty and equality of every human soul. The sacred rights of mankind, wrote Alexander Hamilton in 1775, are imprinted in human nature by the hand of the divine of the divinity itself and can never be erased or obscured by mortal power. Never erased or obscured by mortal power. The political expression of these self-evident truths is government by consent, the rule of law, and the separation of powers. As we reflect on the past year and how each day revealed a tension between what makes us a great nation and opinions of a disdain for our nation's history, our founding principles and values, 
Some are pondering how the church navigates during these times of racial tension, how critical race theory is seeping its way into places of worship, and how we can prevent this and promote cultural flourishing. Guess what? This is not a new question. It's been pondered for decades. During pre and post reconstruction, during the era of Jim Crow, the 1960s and all the way to today. But I wanna to talk to you and just take us back to a moment in history. On April 25th, 1957, at the Conference on Christian Faith and Human Relations in Nashville, Dr. Martin Luther King delivered a speech entitled, The Role of the Church in Facing the Nation's Chief Moral Dilemma. He addressed somewhere between 300 and 4,500 Southern Protestant clergymen and invited them to attend. For the major purpose of this gathering was to discuss how to preach Christianity in the presence of Jim Crow. Today, faith leaders have pondered and continue to ponder a similar question. So how did we get there? Many are just going, how did we get there? Most will reply there was no one thing, rather a series of circumstances. The series of circumstances, I would argue, have a common root, deceit. History reminds us that deceit often takes the form of a wolf dressed in sheep's clothing. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden. The snake said to the woman, no, you for sure will not die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and bad. One of the most well-known uh, cries of dismay over betrayal is Julius Caesar's Eat to Brute, uttered when Brutus, a Roman senator, joined a plot to oust Caesar from power. And at the start of the, of the American War of Independence, Benedict Arnold, was an American hero, a brilliant general who fought bravely in several tough battles. But by the end of the war, he was commanding British troops against his former forces. A general on the losing side who has gone down in history as a turncoat and a traitor. But more recently, back to 1950, Martin Luther King called the wolf dressed in sheep's clothing racial segregation. And I quote, he states, through our scientific genius, we have made a world a neighborhood, but through our moral and spiritual geniuses, we have failed to make of our own nation a brotherhood. This is the chief moral dilemma of the nation. The tragic dilemma, which we now confront, leaves the nation and the church with a tremendous challenge. The broad universalism standing at the center of the gospel marks brotherhood, morally inescapable. Racial segregation is a blatant denial of the unity for which we have in Christ. Friends, today's critical race theory, it disguises itself as a solution towards equality. It socializes and creeps into the minds of well-intended people as a path towards solving poverty, disparities in education, housing, wealth, which are all rooted in poverty issues. Critical race theory gives people a sense of power over their environment. And the fruit of critical race theory 
has become counterfeit justice, a tragic dilemma that scars the souls of all parties involved. It depersonalizes the human spirit and diminishes people into objects that can be canceled and silenced. It gives power of one group over another. Critical race theory makes race the prism through which its proponents analyze all aspects of American life. CRT underpins identity politics, which reimagines the US as a nation riven by groups, each with specific claims of victimization. CRT's intolerance can be found in schools, as you know, the workplace, as you know, the entertainment sector, normalizing belief in systemic racism for the average American. Critical thinking means that you analyze, that you examine, that you explore, that you discover. Critical theory means you just accept, you do not think. One of the things that we are engaged in is a parent engagement campaign, which I'll get into a little bit more as we talk. But I just want to have a, just a moment of sincere honesty with you all about this. You know, this is not a Washington issue. This is a national issue. It's not an issue that Washington can solve. It's an issue that communities and and, and, and families and individuals are gonna solve by coming together towards this end. We're trying to bring about unity. And so one of the things that I have been so incredibly blessed with is a forum to be able to talk about the positive things that our country has to offer. Our president, Kay Coles James, when she took the helm at Heritage, she said, you know what? We're gonna have a new institute we're gonna name it after our founder, Edwin J. Fulner, and it is going to espouse a philosophy of his that as a movement, we must, there's nothing else we can do, we have to. We have to multiply and add to this movement because if we subtract and divide from it, there will be a major crisis in this country. And so the Fulner Institute gets to have a voice inside of Heritage, which is almost a 50-year-old organization, one that can speak to the heart of people through its Center for American Studies and looking and analyzing the founding principles of this nation and showing the relevance of it today and to the dialogue and debate that we're having. And it has a Center for Civil Society, which allows us to get out of Washington and we get to talk to people like you, and we get to hear your ideas, and we get to hear about the models that you're using that work. But the reason I said I just wanted to have an honest conversation here is this is not easy work. It's not easy for the church. It's not easy for a think tank. It's not easy for Google groups, Facebook groups, families, parents. It's just not easy. And one of the reasons that we find it challenging is a lot of the nuance is in the language and the messaging. And so what we try to do is we try to start from a place of believing that people are coming to a situation with a good heart. And when we do that, we create a safe environment for people to be able to talk about the concerns they have and what they're really trying to achieve. And then we're able to try to peel that back so that we can connect it to what we think the policy solutions should be. And again, I say it's not easy 
because for so many years we've started with, and the left did this, and the liberals are doing that, and they are poisoning our country. But we get to say, you're invited here to talk about why you believe what you do, and to talk about how we can look out for our children and instill in them those principles that will ground them with the leadership ability that they need to continue to guide this nation towards freedom. You know, freedom isn't in the bloodstream. We have to get up each day and fight for it. And as we see ourselves kind of in this place of just fighting each other, we have to look back and step back and say, something's missing. There's another way to do this. The fight, yes, we do need to have a fight, but we also need to have an embracing of love of people. So as we look at how we defeat this wolf that knocks in sheep's clothing, we must challenge and quell the dissemination of false ideas that instigate a state of confusion and excitement that unconsciously leads to acts of meanness and oppression. We must preserve this great nation by teaching the next generation to put on the full armor of our inalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We shall stand against those who promote oppression, powerlessness, and hopelessness, but we shall stand against them in love. Our battle is against all threats of freedom, against policies that threaten to shrink individual liberty, against practices that dismantle our systems of checks and balances, and the consent of the governed and due process. And yes, we are fighting a battle against darkness. Angela Saylor, the vice president of the Fulner Institute at the Heritage Foundation during IFI's 2021 Worldview Conference, will continue with her remarks from that meeting about how to counter critical race theory after this. Women struggle too. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with The Point. So many indications reveal just how much young men are struggling in our culture, mentally, spiritually, and relationally. New research is revealing just how much women are struggling too. A recent survey from the Roots of Loneliness Project found that middle-aged women reported the sharpest rise in loneliness when the pandemic lockdowns began in 2020. According to the Wall Street Journal, women in this group, especially moms, spend a lot of time on social media but feel increasingly stressed and isolated. Now at best, social media connections can only supplement embodied community. It can never replace it. And because women aren't as likely as men to act out in violent or destructive ways, their struggles can go unnoticed. Moms are in a uniquely challenging spot. They're rarely alone. They're also rarely around other adults. This survey is a good reminder that moms should make time for adult community and not feel guilty for it. It's a good reminder to dads in the larger church body. Don't forget about moms. I'm John Stone Street. Thanks for joining Illinois Family Spotlight. During this segment from the IFI 2021 Worldview Conference, Angela Saylor explains how Christians should respond to critical race theory. Ms. Saylor is the vice president of the Fulner Institute at the Heritage Foundation. I want you to know about some of the research and the data and the analysis that we've gotten back in terms of trying to really understand where people are coming from and what's going on. So we did a survey with Braun Research 
We surveyed both parents and teachers, and we wanted to talk to them about civics and the American founding and character and, and whose responsibility they thought it was to teach civics. Where did they think those lines, where did they think they were drawn? And what did they think civics should actually be? About 50%, 52% of those surveyed were actually Democrats. And I wanna share this information with you because it is helping to inform us in terms of our resources and where we put them and how we package this information towards trying to make a difference. And I think some of it could be helpful to you as well. When we look at a weakness that we've got in this battle, it's simply that most people don't know what critical race theory is. But that weakness is an opportunity because it means that the indoctrination hasn't convinced the masses that it's right. So our opportunity inside of what we could characterize as a weakness is an open door. It's an open door for us to be about the business of educating and informing. The threat is that parents, through the survey, lean in favor of the tenets of critical race theory. And what do I mean by that? What we saw from the questions and the responses is parents are seeking for a way to tell the American story, to create that tapestry that brings, brings the voice of different communities in terms of the melting pot of our nation into the narrative. And so they're leaning into looking for ways to do that. And so they're hearing the buzzwords and they're hearing these different things. And, and I mean, the, again, the words critical race theory sounds like it's something good, right? And so people are leaning into that because they think that there needs to be another shedding of light on the story of America and how it's told and how it's told through textbooks. But what we've seen during this time of threat of people leaning in, we see God-fearing, God-loving people across this nation writing new textbooks. Bill McClay has written a textbook called The Land of Hope, which is beginning to make its way into schools across the country that has a beautiful, beautiful story of America, but based on facts. So when you see something like the 1619 Project that comes out of the New York Times with their endorsement of it, and Nicole Hannah-Jones, a journalist who is you know, going around the country talking and, and posing and positing herself as a historian, but she's not. We have scholars at Heritage and across the nation who are looking at that curricula, and they are analyzing it and showing where the factual information is wrong. But again, friends, it's not enough for us just to say this is bad, 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 bad. We have to, at the same time, listen to the call of people and provide you know, the resources and the opportunities for that void that's there. And there's a way to do that. Opportunities, a polarity of parents are neutral about civics content. So, okay, so that sounds a little interesting. So if they're neutral, does that mean they're just gonna accept 1619, critical race theory, and all these other things that are out, out there? Or does it go back to what I said before in terms of the opportunity? We believe it goes to the opportunity because the, the, the stance of being neutral means they are not bought in, which means their minds are open. 
and we have an opportunity. Parents want transparency. Parents are demanding transparency, and we can thank COVID-19 for that. Something special happened in the middle of a global pandemic. Something wonderful was happening as families were shut in at home in some instances, and kids were at home with their computers, and parents and children were side by side, and parents were leaning over and looking at the screen and saying, what in the world is this? What's going on here? So what we're seeing across the country from a policy standpoint is parents are raising their hands, standing up and charging forward and agreeing, no matter their political affiliation, that they have a right to know what's being taught to their children in the schools. Also, good news, eight in 10 parents are willing to invest more time with their children on civics education. More time. Now, we've gone to Florida, and we're on the ground in Florida, and we're going to be doing a test model in Texas and Colorado as well. But as we've done our focus groups in Florida, we see parents saying, yes, I want to spend more time with my child around this whole area of civics education and American history. But I don't want to be canceled, and I'm not sure that if I stand out there that I will be protected from being canceled, but more importantly, I don't want my child to be canceled. So how do I navigate that? You know, I can get the kids to soccer. I can, you know, I've got these things that I have to do, but I don't know how to now fit the rest of this into my life. And I know it's important, I just don't know how. Well, that's why the Heritage Foundation has raised its hand across the conservative movement and we've joined forces with organizations like the Bill of Rights Institute, the Ashbrook Center, the Jack Miller Institute. Now those organizations have been at it, on the ground, training teachers. Training teachers on alternative um, curricula that they can use towards the teaching in their classrooms. And teachers are leaning into it uh, because they are able to uh, do the extra, get the credit for their certifications by participating in, in these seminars. But what, what's happening is they're looking at the materials and they're getting excited about it. They're going to the trainings and they're getting excited about how to talk to their students about American history and civics. Well, Heritage said, you know what, friends, we're gonna come alongside you. And we know there are parents across the country, all over the country, parents are coming together. But what Heritage said we do is we wanna make sure that those parents are noticed across the nation. And we wanna share your story with the folks in Florida, with the folks in Texas, with the folks in Colorado, so that the energy of I'm not alone resonates. There is a power in people knowing they're not all alone, they're not the only one. There is just a power in that. There's a power in the positive stories about the parents who are standing up and saying, certain people want to cancel me, but as a result of them trying to cancel me, look at all the manna that fell from the sky as a result of that. And it becomes contagious. It becomes contagious. 
we all have our moments in our minds where we're like, is God really calling me to do that? Because like, I don't really know. I've never been to a school board meeting before. I don't know if I remember everything about history that I need to know. I just don't know. But friends, be confident. If you hear God calling you, just stand up. Just stand up and begin to walk because there are so many people who are standing up and walking and they are walking towards you, walking towards you. See, history is our best teacher. Remember the American army was losing battle after battle in the first year of the Revolutionary War, but George Washington crossed the Delaware River in the cold dead of night on Christmas. He surprised the enemy and handed the Americans their first victory. But how did it happen as the sheer size and power of the British troops came into view? The American army literally started to run away. But General Washington dismounted, marched through his men, headed directly towards the British army, and he gave the order to fire. Smoke filled the air and George Washington disappeared. But when the smoke vanished, Washington was standing at the front of the line and his men had formed up behind him and they drove the British away. Friends, today a disenfranchised army of American parents are looking to form and fight the war against federal overreach in education, cancel culture, identity politics, revisionist history, critical race theory. But like George Washington, like you, the Heritage Foundation is working to coalesce troops. So when the order to fire is given and the smoke vanishes, we will see an army of parents, of God-loving people standing strong, fighting to produce citizens who can think for themselves, strong partnerships between parents and teachers, and content-based learning that focuses on the core concepts of American political and economic systems, especially as outlined in our original documents. Angela Saylor with the Fulner Institute at the Heritage Foundation during the Illinois Family Institute's Worldview Conference at Revive Church in Collinsville. Our thanks to Pastor Miles Holmes and other leaders at Revive for hosting the conference. Critical race theory, hardcore sex ed, and failing educational outcomes just some of the reasons why more and more parents are exploring Christian alternatives to government schools for their children. If you're beginning that process or know someone who should, go to IllinoisFamily.org and click Rescuing Our Precious Children. That's where there's valuable information about education options. IllinoisFamily.org, Rescuing Our Children. For more information about Illinois Family Spotlight, visit ifiaction.org. And to email questions and comments, do so at feedback at ifiaction.org.